That's an odd thing to tell people. No, it's not. <laughs> you guys rub your pants like crazy when you're thinking. Just, just do it do in I? private. Yes! You've never told me that. <laughs> no, I wrote it down during the sports podcast. Ah, uh, this is um, probably Colin. Drinks on that table. Hi, welcome to the Fieldwork Podcast, a show where continuing legal education is delivered through conversations about law and business. This episode, our host Gavin will be interviewing Kyle Holton on emerging regulations for cryptocurrency. This is part two of the cryptocurrency conversation with Kyle. Kyle is a corporate and securities attorney and sits on the Securities Committee of the Washington State Bar Association. So from the attic in Tangletown, this is the fieldwork. Thanks for joining us. I'm here with Kyle Holton to continue our discussion on emerging regulations on cryptocurrency. This episode, we're going to focus on recent comments from the director of the Division of Corporate Finance of the SEC and what they mean for regulations surrounding utility tokens specifically. Kyle published an article recently on the Canal Street blog, and full disclosure, I'm also a contributor to that blog, and we at the Fieldwork Podcast have not been paid anything to promote it yet. So Kyle, thanks for joining me. Thank you. So we talked last time about some of the buzzwords in the crypto world. We talked a little bit about some of the emerging regulations, the intersection of various government agencies that uh, are trying to regulate cryptocurrency. And I think it's important before we dive into utility tokens, recent comments from the SEC uh, director, I think it's important that we touch briefly on what positions securities regulators have taken up to this point when it comes to cryptocurrencies? Are they securities? Are they not? Uh, so if you could dive into that a little bit. Sure, yeah. So it's been uh, pretty unanimous, whether we're talking about state or federal regulators, that they've, they've said um, tokens, cryptocurrency, are going to be treated as securities, especially in the, the ICO context, or the initial coin offering, the initial token offering. So that first sale, that's really what they've been, been focused on talking. And they've all said that, yeah, that's that's going to be a securities offering. People are selling a, a token for a, you know a platform that probably doesn't yet exist. And uh, they're promising investors or their marketing materials are telling investors that they're going to get a, a profit on that. So that's pretty clearly a, a security. And that's what regulators have been saying. And so that's the like last time we talked about ICOs. Um, it's kind of the hot topic right now, at least in the startup world and technology companies that are trying to finance developing, growing their company through these initial coin offerings, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So instead of uh, doing the traditional thing where they give a chunk of their company to investors, they are putting together a token offering where the, the investors will get a digital asset instead of a, sh- a share of the company. And the share of the company would, would come with um, some rights to records of the company. It would come with um, rights to the, the proceeds of the company. If the company is sold, it comes with rights to dividends. So those are all things that investors are not getting with the token and um, it's great for companies if they can raise capital that way because then they they don't get, you know give up those those things to investors they get to keep all that and so the big news recently was uh, William Hinman he's the director of the division of corporate finance of the SEC came out uh, recently and I'm gonna read this I'm gonna quote this he says based on my understanding of the present state of ether the ethereum network and its decentralized structure 
current offers and sales of Ether are not securities transactions. He goes on to say, uh, and with as with Bitcoin, applying the disclosure regime of the federal securities laws to current transactions in Ether would seem to add little value. Over time, there may be other sufficiently decentralized networks and systems where regulating the tokens or coins that function on them as securities may not be required. So there's a lot to unpack there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, let's start off with um, this idea of... Uh, I mentioned it earlier, this idea of utility tokens. So can you briefly explain what a utility token is or yeah. the concept behind that? Yeah, so the idea is that once the network on which the, the tokens are going to be used is sufficiently built up, then the, the token's got a, a utility. It's got a use, a purpose other than, um, you know, just some asset that people are hoping is going to ap- appreciate. It's, um, it's, it's a little bit different because then all of a sudden it's got something that you can, you can spend it on kind of like, uh, you can think of maybe like an airline mile. So you have a, you have a mile with through Alaska and, and then you, you save up enough of them and you can get a flight on Alaska. It could be the same sort of thing where if you have enough tokens, then you can use something on the, the network of the, the company that's offering the token. And we talked last time about this. Uh, I think you gave the country club, uh, there, there was this country club case that happened a long time ago and and buying memberships in the country club before the country club was actually up and running, whether or not that was a security transaction. There's another famous case. I think you mentioned this last time too, yeah. the Howie case. And, and I think it's important to bring that up when it comes to these utility tokens because I think that kind of, that that's what, that that's what the uh, that's what director Hinman was talking about. He talked about the Howey test, and that's that's one of the the that's the most famous case in U.S. securities law. So that's that's what everybody refers to as the the Howey case. And what happened in that one is there was a uh, there was a, a guy who owned Howey. He owned a hotel and um, some uh, land that was adjacent to the hotel on which there were orange groves. And he sold the land, but the the sales contracts included a provision that whoever bought the land was going to have to lease it back to the hotel that Howie owned. And um, Howie's hotel would then farm the land and um, you know sell the sell the oranges, and and the the investors purchasing the land would get the proceeds from the the sale of the oranges. So that's that's what that case was all about, and. Um, they said that the sale of the land with the leaseback provision was a sale of a security because whether or not the investors got any profits depended on what Howie was was going to do with the, the farming. So someone else was going to have to farm the land and then the investors were going to get the proceeds from it. So basically, the, the test that they laid out is that if you're putting money into someone else's enterprise, a, a common enterprise, and you're hoping to get profits from someone else's work, then it's a security. So we can analogize that to what's going on with uh, in the cryptocurrency space, because if um, you know if, if you're buying a token and you're hoping that someone else is going to build a platform to make that token um, valuable, then it's going to be a security. And if a company that's selling the token is telling people, oh, you know, this network that we're building is going to make the the token valuable, and that's why you should buy it, then it's a security. But you look at Ether and Bitcoin. And the networks are sufficiently built out. The um, you know they're decentralized, so there's not that you know there's no one that's the equivalent of Howie in that context. Like these are decentralized, and there's not a, a common enterprise. No one's no one's got control. So that's a that's a, a, a big difference. But the real question is when 
when uh, does a token go from the ICO stage where it's definitely security to the you know the Ether and Bitcoin the most built out uh, tokens like what's that the whole area in between that is a gray area right now so that's really what's left for people to figure out which is a lot. Yeah, and you mentioned the idea of decentralization. I think that's an important feature of of what uh, Director Hinman brought up, but it's also one that's not super clear. Um, it's not super clear on how decentralized a particular network or platform needs to be in order to be, quote unquote, decentralized enough for the for the SEC. Yeah. Um, can you can you unpack that a little bit for me? So when he says Ethereum has a decentralized structure, what's he referring to? Explain that a little bit. So there's there's protocols for how the you know this the application is updated and who who decides if it's updated and it's not a company there's not like a there's no single entity that, that makes that decision it's um, spread out over a bunch of people um, who are involved in the network but it's not it's there's no one entity or it's there's no central control like there would be with a, a company so that's that's what's the what's decentralized about it and that's one of the major draws to the blockchain in general is that you set up these um, networks and have applications running on these decentralized networks and there's nobody that can mess it up basically there's the there's the, the protocol that there's the rules that are all spelled out as far as like what's going to happen and um, you know there's there's no centralized power that can that can change that so that's that's the draw and um, you know that's also why these um, aren't securities and i think a big thing when it comes to um securities regulations in general and and what their what the goal is behind securities regulations one of the big things that securities regulators require is disclosure i think the hard thing in a decentralized structure is that what are the disclosures who's who's disclosing the information and and then you know what what exactly are the disclosures in that type of structure yeah that's that's a great point and um yeah, one of the major things that the SEC and state regulators try to do with their regulations is is to address information asymmetries where, you know, the company that's selling the security has all this information about the value of the security and they want to make sure that the investor has adequate knowledge um, so that they can make an informed decision about whether or not it's worthwhile to purchase the security. But there's nothing like that in Bitcoin or Ethereum because there's no, you know, there's no central power that's got all the info about the, the security. So there are, I mean, there are issues with, with um, Bitcoin and Ethereum with the lack of transparency um, on the network. Like it's hard to know who owns so how much uh, of, of which token. And there might be people that own so much that they could move markets. Um, and there might be, you know, some insider trading type activity going on. Maybe someone's got some big news about what's gonna, about to happen with a, a token. And there's not the level of disclosure around that. But there's no, there's no organization or, um, you know, central entity that you would require that information from. It's just a bunch of people using it. Hey, everyone. This is Kyle. And Gavin. From the Fieldwork Podcast. Keep listening and we'll share the code you'll need to get your CLE credits. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. And now, back to the show. And and th- we can thank the regulators that just when we think we have a little bit of clarity around this, uh, Director Hinman goes on to explain that while Bitcoin and Ethereum alone don't appear to be securities, they could be considered securities when packaged and sold in different investment contracts or packages. 
reconcile that for me or, or, or maybe maybe clarify that how how they become securities if uh you know earlier in his comments he says they're not securities yeah so like one one easy example is if they're put into a fund and um then there's you know there's a company that owns some ethereum and some bitcoin and um he tells investors that they should buy a piece of his fund because he's going to manage it in a way where they're going to make they're going to make a profit so that that's one example where so the investor in that that um, standpoint would be hoping to make money off of the efforts of the fund manager the fund manager would presumably be saying something about how they're going to manage the fund but what they're doing is they're going to own ether and bitcoin and those are the the underlying assets and in, in that situation they're being packaged as a security so in that scenario uh bitcoin and ethereum as the underlying digital asset are not securities but the investment strategy or the packaged investment transaction is a securities that's right. And that, that can be the case with, with anything. So like oranges aren't necessarily a security, but the way Howie was packaging them and, um, you know, offering to, to manage the land and harvest the oranges and then sell them, you know, then all of a sudden oranges are securities. So as long as we can package oranges and apples as securities contracts, then securities attorneys will still be in business. Yeah, exactly. There's still some work for us. Yeah. So uh, the the interesting thing here is there's there's so there's we we're we're talking about tonight emerging regulations in cryptocurrency, and the the interesting thing is we don't totally know who's going to regulate cryptocurrency, what what agency it is, what set of rules. The other thing that's interesting, especially when it comes to securities, is that it's from what we're discussing, it's kind of this fluid analysis, right? So on the one hand, you have the asset that is not a security, but could be packaged in a way in a particular transaction where it is then governed by securities regulations. And I think that's the interesting thing. That, that's the the part that's hard, um, that's complicated. The reason why you, you call securities attorneys to help you out with this stuff. Um, but I think also the, you know, the reason we we're now sitting down for a second discussion on this is it's, uh, it's super interesting to talk about. Yeah, it is. It, and, you know, it's developing. So that that's another uh, interesting aspect is it's changing all the time. And yeah, it's, it's a relatively complicated area of law with um, a, a decent amount of nuance and um, a lot of gray area, which, um, you know, can give lawyers and their, their clients heartburn, but it's uh, makes for, you know, interesting, thoughtful work. And Director Hinman also, um, one of the more helpful things he did is listed out a number of factors to consider when analyzing whether a cryptocurrency or a, a particular digital asset is a security. I, I wanted to um, run down those those factors um, briefly. And uh, so I was hoping you have those factors in front of you. I was hoping we could we can run down those. Um, I may interrupt, cut in with some questions. Sure. Um, happy to field questions if you have any for me, but uh, I think that'd be helpful for the listeners. Sure. So the the first one here is, uh, is there a person or group that has sponsored or promoted the creation and sale of the digital asset, the efforts of whom play a significant role in the development and maintenance of the asset and its potential increase in value? So this is getting at, um, you know, whether the efforts of somebody else is going to generate a profit for the investor. And that's that's the heart of a security. And that's, you know, you're, you're 
most typical security transaction you can think of is buying shares of a corporation in which you're hoping the, the you know the management of the corporation is going to to grow the company and uh, that you'll get a, a profit as a result. So it's a similar analysis here is if there's a, a group of people who created the digital asset and you're hoping that they're going to play a significant role in the development and maintenance of the asset and and therefore the the digital assets can increase in value then yeah you're looking at a security. I got a question on that. So you're a founder of a technology company, you're you're looking to sell a particular token in your company, develop a new technology, that token's going to be worth or used something used for something in the future. Um, you as the founder investing in your own company and receiving tokens in exchange for that. But you're the one that's putting the effort forth, right, to 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 make the profit. Is that a scenario where I mean there's probably more to that analysis, but is that from what I gave you, is that a scenario where this is a security? Is this something where I, as the founder, need to be concerned with this? No, I would say probably not really. I mean, there's if it is a security, there's definitely an ex- exemption for a non-public offering if you're se- selling to yourself. Uh, so that, I mean, th- that's in the case where there's a single founder. It gets more complicated the you know as you add founders, and if they're not joining at the same time, then all of a sudden it does get it can get pretty complicated because you're relying on your co-founders' yeah. efforts, not only your own. Okay, exactly. Yep. Cool. Let's uh, let's look at the next factor. So, yeah. So the next one is. Uh, has this person or group retained a stake or other interest in the digital asset such that it would be motivated to expend efforts to cause an increase in value in the digital asset? Would purchasers reasonably believe such efforts will be undertaken and may result in a return on their investment in the digital asset? So this is this is another one that really, I think it gets at the first point of, you know, is someone else going to increase value in, in the asset? So this one is saying, you know, did these people, are these people holding on to millions of tokens with the idea that they're going to, take efforts, you know, uh, do things to, to increase the value of the token. And if, if the investors know that the people issuing the token are holding onto a bunch, it's a, and, and the company is telling people that it's a reasonable inference that they're going to try and increase the value of the tokens. And that might be a motivating factor for the purchasers. So that again, makes it look like a, a security. Sure seems like they probably could have used less words in that second factor. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's dive into number three. All right. Uh, has the promoter raised an amount of funds in excess of what may be needed to establish a functional network? And if so, has it indicated how those funds may be used to support the value of the tokens or to increase the value of the enterprise? Does the promoter continue to expend funds from proceeds or operations to enhance the functionality and or value of the system within which the tokens operator operate. So this one is, uh, you know, getting at whether or not they're going to grow the the token or, or grow the you know the network so that the token will increase in value. So again, that's a pretty much you know in in line with the first two. Um, it's similar to the country club analysis, right? It's is the country club up and running yet? Can you use your membership there? Or is the money from you paying for your membership going towards building out the club that you're actually going to go play at? Yep, that, that's exactly right. Yeah. So the next one is our purchasers investing that... Sorry, I'm going to start over. Apparently I can't read. Our purchasers investing that is... Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can read, I promise. <laughs> All right, 
Factor number four is, are purchasers investing, that is, seeking a return? In that regard, is the instrument marketed and sold to the general public instead of to potential users of the network for a price that reasonably correlates with the market value of the good or service in the network? And so this is getting at what are the, what, what's the motivation of the investor? So this isn't necessarily about what, what is the company doing, but it's what, why is the purchaser purchasing the token? And if the purchaser's motivation for, to- for purchasing the token is to increase or to, to get a profit from their investment, then that's a factor that, that weighs in favor of it being a security versus using it on the network. If the sole reason is I want to buy these tokens because I want to eventually use these on this platform or network to, I don't know, buy myself a shirt, yep. uh, I'm going to have a different motivation than someone that's trying to make a profit on that. That's exactly right. So it's like the airline miles is a good example again. So if it's like if you buy some, some miles on, through Alaska and you're trying to get a, you know, a flight, you're going to use those miles to get a flight to Hawaii, you're not trying to make a profit, you're trying to you know, use the, the services that Alaska Airlines offers. And I think this one's interesting because I think Director Hinman mentions this at some other point in um, in his comment about the, I don't remember the exact word he used, something about how the tokens being consumed, the word like consumable or something was used. Sounds like they're going to eat it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he, he mentions that and that was an important point in the analysis is is what's the, what's the investor's intent when they're, when yep. they're buying it. And I think that goes not only to the investor intent, but also who the companies are selling to, right? Yeah. Because they have a decent idea of what their investor's intent is, mm-hmm. depending on what that audience is. So I think that's an important point because that was something that I know Director Hinman brought up several times. Yeah. And so the way that the, so if you're a, a company and you're worried about this factor, you're like, how do I know what someone is going to purchase this for? Like one of the big ways you can control that is with your marketing and, and who you're, you know, who you're targeting with your marketing and what your marketing says. So if, you know, if, if you're trying to say that you're just uh, a utility token and that you're not uh, a security because people are just going to use your your token like someone might use an airline mile, well, if you're you know telling telling folks that the tokens are going to increase in value, then that doesn't really jive with that that theory of it just being a, a utility. Yeah, and I think you bring up something interesting there, which is uh, labeling the digital asset you're selling as a quote-unquote utility token. I think that was mentioned several times, and I know a lot of securities attorneys have talked about that. Mm-hmm. Is, and the SEC has come out several times and said, it's not about how you label the security that you're selling or how you label the particular asset that you're selling. It's when we do this analysis, what is it a security or is it not a security? So you can't have something that clearly within the analysis is a security, but call it a utility token and avoid securities regulations. Yeah, that that's exactly right. I'll, th- I'll throw a question back at you. So can you think of a example where something might have a utility, but might also be a security? Yeah, I mean, I think I think what we're talking about right now in this in this intent of the investor, I think there's a there's a situation where a token could be sold that has a particular utility on a on a particular platform or network. There's also the opportunity where you could um, over time hold on to that investment for a long period of time and and be doing that with the intent to get a profit on your investment initially into that token versus someone else that's buying that and exchanging that on this platform or network and using it for true, like there's a utility behind it. So I think, um, I mean, I think what we just discussed is a, is a clear picture. I don't have an example, you know, real world example of where this is happening, but yeah. I'm sure that example that I just laid out is happening somewhere. Yeah. Not to turn the tables 
too much here, but one one more question for you. What do you like? Beanie babies, for example, people used to like buy those and think that they were going to increase in value. Do you think that beanie babies would be a security? I think I get hung up on the idea of um, someone else's efforts, maybe. Yeah. Because the you're buying this thing, and I don't see how someone else's efforts are increasing the value over time. So. Yep. So I don't know. I mean, I, I guess that that would be in the kind of four part test. Yeah. That would be the one I'd get hung up on most. I I would um, agree. I think that's exactly. Maybe right. the common enterprise too. I think there's a few places where if I'm a securities attorney and I'm arguing against it being a security, yeah. those would be the two places that got, right off the top of my head, yeah. I think you could poke some holes. Yep. I would agree. All right. Let's jump into the fifth, the fifth factor here. Does application of the Securities Act protections make sense? Is there a person or entity others are relying on that plays a key role in the profit making of the enterprise such that the disclosure of their activities and plans would be important to investors? Do informational asymmetries exist between the promoters and potential purchasers or investors in the digital asset? So what they're saying here is it would it they're saying like practically speaking, would it even be helpful for the Securities Act protections um, to apply? So would would they would they protect investors? And if they would protect investors, then that's a that uh, you know is a factor in favor of applying the, the securities regulations. Um, so that's that's what they're getting at there, and you know, information asymmetries is like something we, we talked about previously, where you know maybe the company who's who's putting out the token knows that they are about to um, lose a, a major, uh, maybe their their best their star developer, maybe their CTO who who knows everything about the platform, maybe they know that they're gonna lose that person, and if they don't have an obligation to disclose that, then investors could be you know making an investment um, on less than less than great information and um you know it's not necessarily fair to investors if there's that um central place of information like that you know the company in a a typical transaction so if if investors need that information then that's a factor that would tend towards seeing it as a security hey everyone this is kyle and gavin from the fieldwork podcast this is your reminder that you can get cle credits just for listening After this episode, go to yourfieldguide.com to receive your CLE credits. To convince those in charge that you actually listened, you'll need this hella secret code. Factors. Wait, what was that? Factors. F-A-C-T-O-R-S. Factors. Okay, got it. And now, back to the show. The sixth factor is, do persons or entities other than the promoter exercise governance rights or meaningful influence. So if, if um, this gets at decentralization, so if there are people other than the one selling the token that have control, you know, some, some sort of control over the token, then that's, that's gonna lead towards it not being a security. So if, you know, if lots of people have control, some control and nobody has all the control, that, that's basically a you know, decentralized network. And if that's the case, then it looks more like Bitcoin or Ether, and therefore it's uh, not a security. So I'm curious, uh, thanks for going through those factors. And I think, uh, again, I think those are helpful. I think those are, these are 
factors that I would encourage listeners to go and read through, um, in addition to Director Hinman's comments and articles that are now coming out um, unpacking everything that Director Hinman said, I'm curious your thoughts on whether you think it, it sort of seems like there's this domino situation going on in regulations around cryptocurrency where we're almost waiting for one domino to fall and the rest of them will go. I'm wondering, it, is this that domino? Is this does this does it seem like something else is coming based on these comments and, and where it seems like regulators are going recently? I don't know. I mean, I think that we're going to I think. I don't really think it's going to be like dominoes where all of it happens quickly one after another. I think it's going to be more like slow dominoes. Yeah. I think it's going to be real slow dominoes. Everybody knows about those. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be, you know, I think maybe they'll, the SEC will issue, will publish a couple of no action letters where people ask the SEC to, you know, say that they won't take enforcement action against them given a certain set of facts. And as the SEC publishes those, we'll get, you know, the, the amount of gray area will become a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller. And eventually there'll be like some area of comfort for people trying to operate in this space. But I mean, I don't think we're there yet. The alternative to that is that maybe, maybe there's some legislation, maybe Congress takes some sort of action to, um, you know, give clarity where, where there isn't any at the moment. So I guess that would be that if there was going to be like a, a domino, a series of dominoes where we get some clarity, I would think that that's the more likely route is that, oh, good luck. Good Lord. Do I really think it's likely that Congress is going to do anything? Uh, probably not, but I guess it's, it's more likely than the SEC uh, giving us a bunch of clarity real quickly. I was listening to a podcast recently and Jesse Powell, the CEO at Kraken, which is a digital asset exchange yeah, network. Exchange, yeah. Um, he says his opinion was regulators should wait and see how things develop before enacting regulation. Um, he mentioned several ways that it can it could do more harm than good by kind of diving into regulations and trying to regulate this thing before we have more information and we see how the market the markets regulate themselves. Do you agree with that approach? Um, I mean, I think that there's a there's a happy medium. I think that I mean. It's tough to apply laws from 1933 to, you know, cryptocurrency, but, you know, what a... It's only like 100 years ago. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think what a, what a regulator would say is that they don't want to wait until a bunch of, the, you know, their constituents, a bunch of the, you know, the consumers in their jurisdiction have been uh, ripped off by, you know, fraudsters in this space. So I can see why they wouldn't want to take a wait and see approach. And I think that there's a, a certain amount of logic to that, but... I also think that they, you know, should encourage commerce and encourage, um, you know, the development of, of new markets. And um, it's it's tough to say what the what the happy medium is. I think that if there was some um, self-regulatory organization, so some third party that that um, applied some some set of standards to the cryptocurrency or blockchain space, that that might be a legitimate route. But I don't think that not taking action just because they're in a certain market is really a, an option for regulators. So in that same interview I listened to, uh, he also mentioned this idea of a sandbox approach. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's basically, and I know it's something they're, they're trying out in the UK, the EU, Canada, I believe, um, is, is at least launching into 
this this sandbox. I don't know. They have some particular name for it. Yeah. But it's basically an approach where they can exempt these technology companies from specific securities regulations in order to allow them to innovate, grow technology, and then apply specific regulations to those companies. Um, I, and I guess it's the, you know, they're, they're, they apply to play in the sandbox, right? And yeah. then, and then the sandbox has its own rules that are outside of the rules. I'm curious. I, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because it's fascinating yeah. to me. Um, but it seems like it comes with, uh, could come with a lot of problems. Yeah, I guess one thing I don't like about it is that then it's the, it seems like the government's picking winners and losers. Like, everybody's got to play by a certain set of rules except for whoever... Doesn't that go. already happen everywhere anyways? Yeah, but this is like a whole other level. It's like, you know, maybe they pick and choose where they enforce the rules, but this is... they're Not only are they going to pick and choose where they enforce the rules, but they're going to pick and choose who gets which rules, which is like just another layer of not fair, potentially. So that, I mean, that would be... The downside to it i mean the you can i can see a bunch of uh, pros to it though too um you know it encourages um you know innovation and it, depending on what the what the parameters are for the sandbox like how much oversight these companies are, are getting you know maybe they don't have to follow all the other you know uh regulations that, that would normally apply to that jurisdiction but i would imagine that they don't get free reign i, I imagine that there must be some sort of oversight that the regulatory bodies are are having um so I'd, I'd be curious to know more about it i don't frankly i don't know that much about it but it, it's interesting yeah and i think one of the arguments for it is that it gives regulators the ability to sort of they're they're playing in the sandbox too right so they're able to test out regulations specific to new innovation without having being having having it be wide scale and applying to everyone so they can kind of test these things out see how they're they're applied practically in these situations but yeah i i I, I've come across this several times, and uh, I think, again, I think it's a fascinating concept. I think it's one that, like like I said, they're trying out in the UK, the EU, Canada. Those are ones off the top of my head that I know they're, they're trying this out. Um, and speaking of Canada, I know uh, Canada has very similar securities regulations to the US, um, and I know they've recently come out with some comments and some helpful hypotheticals. So they have hypotheticals that lay out scenarios and then they give their securities regulator analysis to is this a security and why, right? Yep. Yeah, that, that's a super, super helpful resource. Uh, people should check that out. We can throw it in the show notes, the link to it. But um, yeah, they've got, I don't know, it's like maybe 18 or 20 factors or something like that. Like if these if these facts are in play, then it's more likely a security or then it's less likely a security. And it's really it's really helpful. So that's that's another thing that the SEC could do to, um, you know, remove some of the gray area. But even then, it's, it's you know, it's always going to be a, a facts and circumstances test and, unless, I mean, unless they give us some sort of a safe harbor. So. So all you securities regulators that are listening right now, please publish similar hypotheticals, facts, and uh, your analysis so we as securities attorneys can use those in advising our clients. Yep, that'd be fantastic. Uh, so you noted in your article that there, and I think you mentioned it earlier tonight, there's this large gray area. So to kind of recap, we talked last week about ICOs. Um SEC has commented and said they haven't seen an ICO that is not a securities offering. Correct. Yep. We have this other end of the spectrum where the SEC comes out and says Bitcoin and Ethereum are not securities, um, noting the decentralization of that structure, 
the uh, potential utility, um, the again, I don't remember the exact word, but how that token is being consumed yep. um, as some of the factors that are important in this. Uh, do you see this gray area becoming clear anytime soon? And and should regulators be seeking to clarify this 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 large gray area in between? Yeah, I think it would be really helpful because there's a you know I talk to a, um, you know quite a few people who are interested in, in coming into this space and I, I you know I just tell them what the information we have and it, it doesn't give them much um, comfort you know it's like the, if if you're doing an ICO, then it's definitely security. And if you're Bitcoin or Ether, then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're not. But what, what, like everything in between, which is pretty much everything, it's uh, is unknown. So if they added some clarity, it would, it would be, it would be beneficial for business and innovation. So it'd be great. And the clarity we have at this point, just to recap what, what we've mentioned earlier, the clarity we have at this point is, is the Howey test, right? We have... We're running through this, these factors, uh, these four factors. We have these other six factors that we ran down tonight. Um, so a client comes to you, potential client comes to you, tells you what they want to do. You as a securities attorney are applying these facts, right? They're applying these facts to this test and saying, is this security? Is it not a security? Is it that, is it that easy? That's the gist of it, I'd say that there's a little more nuance than that. So the, the definition of a security includes like 30 things and then also like catch all this, like anything else that is commonly known to be a security. Um, and one of the things in that long list is an investment contract. And Howie is a test for determining whether or not something is an investment contract. So just because it, um, something isn't a security under the Howie test doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a security. So that's... Um, you know, one other factor to have in mind. And um, uh, one of the major other tests is um, for debt. So if you're, if you're dealing with a loan, then there's potentially a different um, test you need to look at a different line of cases. So, you know, there's some caveats, but basically, yeah, that's right. You look at the Howey test, you see if it's, um, you know, if an investor thinks that they're going to make a profit based on the efforts of someone else's um, involvement in, in a enter- common enterprise. So you look at that and, and um, you know, advise your client the best the best you can as to, you know, how they're going to fall on the, the spectrum of, of whether or not they're a security. Awesome. So you mentioned to me uh, a podcast, Unchained, as a great resource yeah. for those interested in learning more, staying up to date on recent developments in the crypto world. I know Director Hinman made it clear in his comment that the SEC is happy to help crypto technology companies and their counsel work through these securities issues. Um, do you have any additional suggestions for resources you found helpful uh, specific to cryptocurrency regulations around cryptocurrency? Yeah, let's see. There's a, I know there's another... There was another um, podcast, Analysis in Chains, uh, News and Views on Blockchain. That one's worth a that one's worth a look. It sounds like you probably could just search chain in whatever your podcast directory is, I mean, and and you might you, you might, might find some useful <laughs> things, and you might get some other stuff too, which I suppose could be entertaining. Um, yeah, so that's that's another one that's that's coming to mind right now. I read, um, oh. I th- there's a email I get in my inbox every day. I think it's called term sheet. Um, and they were just, they had a really uh, interesting article about how um, a bunch of money that was 
going into like typical series a and vc type deals is now going into um cryptocurrency deals and token offerings and that sort of thing so that's a you know that's an interesting um interesting place where you can get some like general tech news i also there's some vcs i really like reading um fred wilson he's got a, a blog avc just the three letters um Mark Schuster's got a blog both sides of the table, and you know they'll they'll occasionally touch on um, some stuff in, in the cryptocurrency space. So that could be another another place to check out. With keeping up to date on SEC comments and new regulations that are coming out from the SEC, is there a good place that you use for getting those updates? Is there is there a specific SEC listserv or or uh, you know something you could subscribe to where you get those in your inbox? Um. I get notices. I'm in the um, Washington State Bar Association Secur- uh, Securities Committee for the Business Law Section. That's a real mouthful, but um, you guys need an acronym. Yeah, for real. Um, and the, there's a, basically a, like a, a mailing list, and people send group emails um, with updates, and that's where I get a good chunk of mine. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, what a good public one would be. Um, do you have any any ones that are coming to mind that, that you look at for just like general securities updates? Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, me neither. Um, I'm sure there must be, but those are... The SEC website has press releases that I will, you know, take a take. A I wonder if there's a way to subscribe to that where you can get those to you without yeah. having to just go and... We should figure that out. We should. <laughs> uh <clears throat> Since we last spoke, because uh, I asked you this question last time, but is there any new software or other tool you found helpful in your practice? So I read a uh, a novel recently that I, I liked pretty well. It's uh, James S. A. Corey, The Leviathan Wakes, um, and it's about um, you know it's a sci-fi. People are on a ship, and it's kind of it's a little bit Star Warsy, but it's uh, you know gets into outer space stuff, and people are living out in the distant um asteroids in our solar system and it's it's pretty fun action um type novel so it's it's just it's fun and it's fun to put your head in a different place so uh that's why i like it starring elon musk (laughs) yeah i'm sure he would he would he would go (laughs) awesome well thanks again for joining us that's all the time we have tonight Kyle, thanks for sitting down with me and talking about emerging regulations and cryptocurrency, some of the recent comments that have come out from the SEC. Thanks, it's been fun. This is the Fieldwork Podcast, a show where continuing legal education is delivered through conversations about law and business. 